book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4 this week. We've been uh, in chapter 3 for a little while, uh, talking about relationships and, and the kinds of relationships that uh, we have in our lives. Uh, I feel like I've said this a lot, but I'll repeat it again uh, because I do think it's critical. Uh, when, when God begins to talk about relationships, he, he starts with the foundation, uh, and the foundation of all other relationships is a relationship with Him. Uh, we need a meaningful relationship with God. And so the first 17 verses of chapter 3 deal with our relationship with God, knowing Him in a personal way, having a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, that we would, we would set our affection, our on him, that we would look to things above, we wouldn't live for this world, that we would die to ourselves and, and live out this faith that he's given to us. We would live a life uh, in relationship with him, a life pleasing to him, that we would put off the old man and put on the new man, that we would live like Christ. Uh, that's the objective, that is the Christian life. And then he begins to talk about, after he, he deals with this vertical relationship, how we relate to one another horizontally. and. And he talks about the, the most important relationships. He talks about a marriage relationship. And so he says a husband ought to love his wife like Christ loves the church. Uh, and that a wife ought to submit to her husband like the church does to Christ. And, and those may seem like foreign concepts, uh, but, but that is the word of God. That's the truth of the word of God. That's how God designed this relationship. And I won't take time to go back through all of that. It has nothing to do with inferiority or anything of the nature. It's, it's just the way that God establishes these relationships. He says that the children ought to obey their parents, and, and parents ought not to provoke their children, uh, and, and talking about how to be rightly related. And then last time we talked about, as, as an employee, he uses the word servants, uh, how that a servant ought to have focused obedience uh, to those who are in authority over them. And, and then this week, as you cross over into chapter 4, verse 1, he begins to talk about, well, what about those that are, are the masters, those that are in charge? What are they to do? And, and in a word, simply, it's give. They ought to give to those who are subordinate to them. How, how do we relate to people who are subordinate to us that we should give to them? Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so that word master, it's the same Greek word that's translated Lord. It's one who's in authority over another person. And you know, really, truthfully, we all have influence over others. All of our lives. Last week we talked about the fact that, that we're all servants. And, and this week I want you to realize that we're all masters too. We all have influence. Leadership can best be defined as influence. And we all have influence. You may, you may have a position in a, in a corporation where you are the executive and there's many people following you, uh, but you may, just, you may be a parent like we just saw this morning. There's, there's influence in parenting. You may be a student and you have influence over other students. All of us have influence over other people's lives and we need to recognize that and take responsibility for that. We're all servants, but we're also all leaders. We're all masters in some respect. And there are people looking to us, so it's applicable. And what he says, the first thing that he tells us, masters, give to your servants. So we're responsible to give. And you know, that may sound strange to us today. That's countercultural, isn't it? Because in our minds, we usually think leadership has its privileges. That's how we treat leadership. We act as if leadership is a role of privilege 
Uh, leadership is a role where we, we take, but what the Bible says is just the opposite of that. That shouldn't surprise us. And that leadership isn't a place of taking, but leadership is a place of giving. That as a leader, I should be a giver. That I should be giving to those who are subordinate, those who are submissive to me. I need to provide for them. I need to care for them. I need to make sure that they're taken care of. That's my responsibility. Leadership doesn't have its privileges. Leadership has its responsibilities. We need to recognize that. It's not a position of privilege. Jesus, when he was talking with his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, uh, he, he, he gives that distinction between the culture and, and what's God's way of doing things. Notice what he says It'll come on the screen, Matthew 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him, his disciples, and he said unto them, You know how the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. And so he's, he's pointing out, this is the culture, this is the way that, that things work. He refers to them as the Gentiles, and, and most likely all of us in this room are Gentiles. He's distinguishing them, though, from the Jews. And if a person had become a Jewish proselyte, they became part of the Jewish nation. So in, in this Old Testament economy of Matthew, you could, you could say he's, he's differentiating between those who are saved and those who are lost. And so we would fit not in the Gentile category today. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor bond nor free, but we're all one in Christ. And so we should, we should live as Christ instructs us to live. In verse 26, he says, but it shall not be so among you. So he says, don't be that person who exercises dominion or exercises authority. Don't let that be true of you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And so what he says is, the person who is in this position of authority is to be the minister, is to be the server. He's to be the one who's caring for everyone else. And whosoever be chief among you, let him be your servant. Again... A little countercultural, right? We don't think that way. Uh, we, we typically think, unfortunately, like the culture, and we think that the person who's in charge ought to be the one who has the privilege. But that's not the way the Bible says it. The Bible says if you're going to be the leader, if you're going to be the, the one in the position of authority, then you need to be one who, who ministers to others, who serves others. You're the one who is to sacrifice for everyone else's benefit. Verse 28, he gives us the example. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life, a ransom for many. The example that we have is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, can, can, we, can we, is there any greater who's ever been? Is there anyone who's greater who's ever lived on the planet than the Lord Jesus Christ? God come in human flesh? Anyone who is more worthy that, that, that all would bow before him and, and, and be at his beck and call and, and serve him and, and do all for him? Is there anybody that, that would be more deserving of that than Christ? Well, certainly not. But he says, I want you to follow my example and I laid that down and I came to serve. I came to give my life a ransom for many. And the example is that all of us should live that same way. All of us should be looking for the opportunity not to take, but to give. Not to be served, but to serve. And could I just say this morning that I fear that the church of Jesus Christ, 
oftentimes we live exactly opposite of that. I've been serving in a pastoral role for a long time, close to 30 years. And oftentimes what I hear from us as believers and followers of Christ is we come to get, not to give. Oftentimes people, when we, when we come to church, we're, we're looking for what I can get out of it. And, and, and I'm not denying that we, we should receive something as we, as we come and we gather together, but, but I think we go at it the wrong way. When we come simply to receive, we're going to go away disappointed because the place to receive is in giving. We'll get far more if we'll come looking to give rather than looking to receive. I think there's a principle. Somebody said it one time. It's more blessed to than it is to receive. And that doesn't, that's not, that's not relegated to monetary things certainly not that's that's a way of living that's a manner of life that I approach everything in life looking for what I can do to serve another what I can do to to give to another not looking just to to come and to get but to come and to give to lay down my life as a a ransom for many so when we talk about how do, we, how do we conduct ourselves as someone in a position of authority? We, we give to others. We serve others. We look for the opportunity not for them to serve us, but for us to serve them. It's totally upside down. The only biblical leadership is servanthood leadership. That's a biblical way of leading. In the, in the parallel passage in Ephesians 6, and Paul wrote these letters, Colossians and and Ephesians, in in close proximity to one another. He was in a Roman jail as he wrote them. He's writing letters back to these local New Testament churches. And and, and so they they are very similar. They they have very uh, different themes, and and we won't get into all of that this morning. But I want to read to you. We saw this last week, but let's just remind ourselves. Ephesians 6, he he goes back and he talks about the servants. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trimming and singleness of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Sean just sang about the, the will of God and living out that will of God. And, and we pray that prayer, that Lord's prayer, thy will be done. And, and that ought to be a prayer that we not only pray for a future event, but something that happens every day in our lives. That God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven because it's done in our lives. We're living that out. That's a prayer that can be answered today in our lives. Verse 7 says, with, uh, with good will doing uh, service as to the Lord, not to men. Verse 8, knowing that so whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And so what Paul says, that you, you go and you serve, and, and when you go and you serve, you recognize that God's going to take care of you. He will provide for you. He's going to meet your need. If you'll serve others, he'll serve you. It's going to be received of the Lord. Now, verse 9, and ye masters do the same thing unto them. And so he just said, it's the same thing. If you're the servant, serve your master. If you're the master, serve your servants. It's a life of servitude. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We, we live a life of servitude. Do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening. I, I love that phrase. If you listen to Many leadership gurus today, 
they would tell you that you can't lead without using intimidation. You can't lead without using manipulation. And the way to lead is to intimidate and to manipulate people to do the things that you desire for them to do. I just want to say, the Bible says that's not true. The Bible says that's not leadership. That's not biblical leadership. And listen, that's true in school, that's true in church, and that's true in corporate America. We shouldn't live differently. We shouldn't live segmented lives where we're one thing on Sunday and something different on Monday. As a believer in Christ, these are the the governing principles of my life, and they apply to every aspect of my life. And Paul says we should forbear threatening. We, We shouldn't be people who lead through intimidation. We shouldn't be people who lead through manipulation. We don't have to manipulate. Hey, it'll work. Intimidation works. Manipulation works. It it might get the result that you want in the short run, but in the long run, it's going to lead to disastrous things. That's not the way to lead. We should lead from a, a position of submission. We should lead from a position of servitude. Intimidation, manipulation will never change people's hearts and minds. That's probably nowhere more important than what we just saw this morning as we dedicate babies, really parents. As a parent, you never want to lead your children with intimidation and manipulation. (laughs) Because the goal isn't modified behavior. The goal is a changed heart. And what happens so often is we get caught in that trap of simply being satisfied with behavior modification. We get caught in the trap of being more concerned about what people think about us than what God knows about us. We get more concerned about what we look like on the outside than concerned about what we look like on the inside. We get more concerned about what people think about our kids than than we are about what God knows about our kids. And, And while intimidation and manipulation might get the results that you're looking for in the short term, they're disastrous in the long term because ultimately those that we're leading reject our leadership, they reject our influence, their hearts are not changed, and they go off looking for a truth in another place. Our responsibility is to lead people, and the only way you can lead people is by being a servant to them. He says give. We're we're to give to them. We're to serve them. So in a leadership position, we should be the ones who are willing to to pay the price to achieve the goals, not asking anyone to do what we are unwilling to do ourselves. Does that make sense? Wouldn't the world be a much better place if we all lived like that? And I know... most likely there's some of you sitting here today going I wish I do wish my boss would live that way and and that's wonderful the only problem is you can't change your boss 
at least not by wishing it. Don't listen today with ears for someone else. Listen for yourself. And the one way that you might change the actions of those around you is by living the truth. By simply beginning to live that way. Be the change that you want to see in someone else. It might amaze us how effective that would be. So the first thing he says, just very simply, masters, give unto your servants that which is just. So treat people fairly. He's not saying give them everything that they want. He's just saying do what's just, do what's right. Uh, again, I'll go to the, to the issue of parenting. We know as parents, if you gave your children everything that they want, you wouldn't be doing them a favor. You would be doing them an incredible disservice. Give to them what is just. Give to them what is right. Give to them, he says, what is equal. Treat people with the same measure of respect. Because people are important. Treat people with respect. And that may seem very simplistic today, but, but I would suggest that a vast amount of the problems that we have in our culture is because we've left that principle. We don't treat people with respect. We, we have become a society of people who treat other people with utter disrespect. And that should not be so. And it is based on a, a variety of things. It, it, it may be socioeconomic, it, it may be by race, it may be by position. There's all kinds of different ways that we differentiate and separate and, and treat people differently. But what, what the Word of God is teaching us this morning is that we're, to teach every, that we're to treat everyone the same. That we're to value people equally. That we're to recognize the inherent value within a human life. Be that pre-birth or post-birth. Life is sacred. Human life is is sacred. It's disturbing to me that we live in a culture that seems to equate animal life with human life. Yeah. I know. You love your pet. I love your pet too. Not really. And I'm okay with you loving your pet. I, I'm okay with you taking care of your pet. You ought to. Just don't equate that to human life. We've had some horrific events in our community over the last several months. I have the occasion to, to be with law enforcement from time to time, serving as a chaplain with our police department. In the midst of one of those horrific events, events there was a, a pet that was killed along with other humans. And, and a large amount of the outcry was over the death of the pet. When human life was lost, they don't equate. We, we ought to value people. Human life is sacred. Relationships 
are not disposable. People are not disposable. But we have such a tendency to just write people off and throw away friendships and relationships. That ought not to be so. Uh, James chapter 2, this is a long text, but I want to read it to you because he's instructing us about how we deal with people and treat people in in a way that's, that's wrong. He says, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Again, back up in Ephesians, he talked about that, that with the, the master, our master in heaven, there is no respect of persons. And James is saying the same thing. That don't have faith with respect of persons. For if they're coming to the year assembly, a man with, gold, uh, with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, different reference there, the word, And say unto him, sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, sit thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? I mean, he's saying, this this is not right. You shouldn't treat people differently. You shouldn't treat people based on social status in a different way, that all people are important. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and the heirs of the kingdom which hath promised them that, that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and do well. But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. We need to see the value in all life. All of human life is sacred regardless of social standing, regardless of race. We're we're all one race. We're the human race. We descend from Adam and Eve. We're all of the same blood. So differentiating is wrong. Every life is valuable. We should begin to conduct ourselves like that and not treating people differently. That's, that's what the Word of God is teaching us today. Do that which is, is fair. Do that which is just. Do that which is equal because you have a master in heaven. We have an ultimate boss who is overseeing all things. That's what he says in the latter, knowing this, that you have a master in heaven. God is overseeing the whole of it. He is the authority. He is the ultimate authority. And we need to bow before his authority and recognize him. Paul, when he's writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. God is going to avenge all that defraud their brother, that default, defraud another person. And, and, and I know we wouldn't ever want to do that. Hopefully you would never want to do that in a material sense. You wouldn't want to take something from someone. You don't want to defraud people out of their, their financial wealth or, or, or take something from them that belonged to them. Certainly that's true, but it goes beyond that. It's more than just, again, physical, monetary things. I don't want to defraud my brother in any matter, he says. I don't want to defraud my brother of his reputation. 
by talking about him behind his back. I don't want to defraud my brother by saying things about someone that true or untrue that would be destructive to them. I don't want to defraud my brother. Because when I defraud them, God is going to avenge it. God says, I'll deal with that. And so I need to live in fear of the Lord, recognizing that he's going to deal with those issues. Now, let me say conversely, when someone's defrauding me of things, I don't have to get all upset about that because I know God's going to settle the scores. Oh, no, I can't let them get away with that. They're not getting away with anything. Right, let, me, let, me, let me look back. No, it says the Lord is the avenger of all such. He is the avenger of all such. He will write the scores. He's keeping a record, and he's a good record keeper. You know, a lot of times we go about through life trying to defend ourselves. That's not a good course of action. Maybe we should just let the Lord handle it. Amen? There's a few of us who agree. It, it is, it is countercultural. We, we do have a tendency to want to defend ourselves because we are Laodiceans. God describes this period of time that we live in as Laodicea. The, the word means the rights of the people. And we are all keenly aware of what our rights are. And we want to stand and fight for them. When God says, rather than stand and fight, how about you submit and serve? How about we just submit and serve? We're really quiet. It sort of rubs against our Americanism, doesn't it? Let me ask you something. I love America. I'm for it, 110%. And I'm a citizen of this country, and I'm grateful for it. But my real citizenship's not here. I'm a citizen of another country, of, of another nation, another land whose builder and maker is God. <laughs> That's where my citizenship is. That's where my loyalty ultimately is to the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is not my home. This is not my permanent abode. The, the, the things that I achieve and, and, and attain in this life really mean nothing because I'm leaving them all behind one day. And I'm going to eternity. That's what really matters. Life is not about here and now. It's about there and then. And you know, we ought to live like that. We ought to live like that every day of our lives. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he's, he's talking. It's in the context of marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but, but he begins to go on and talk about other things. In verse 20, he says, Let every man abide in the same calling where he, where we, wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. And so we, we said this last week when we were talking about how does a servant respond? Over half of the population of the Roman Empire that, that, was in the, that was the dominant world power at that time, over half of them were, were in the slave class or in the servant class. 
There were literally millions of people who, who lived in servitude to other people. And, and God isn't condoning that. God isn't saying that, that human slavery is an okay thing. In fact, we saw last week how that in the, the law, he condemns it. In fact, he says if a, if a man should, should take another man and sell that man, that he's worthy of death. And so God has a serious problem with slavery, but, but he's also realistic and he lives like, realizes that we're living in a sin-twisted world. We live in a world that's demented and, and twisted by sin. And so the Apostle Paul says, regardless of how you come to know Christ, if you're, if you're a servant, if you're a free man or a bondman, it doesn't matter. That's, that's not the issue. Just live in servitude to Christ. Live out your life. To be pleasing to him. Verse 22, for he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. He said, if you, if you get saved and you're a servant, you know what? You're free in the Lord. But if you come and, and you're free, the latter part of the verse, likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. He says, regardless of how you come into this thing, you're both a servant and you're a master. Just live for Christ. No matter who you are, you are, verse 23, no matter who you are, you are bought with a price. Be ye not the servants of men, brethren, but let every man wherein is called thereby abide with God. We're all servants to Christ. We ought to live our lives in servitude to him. We ought to live for eternity, not for this life. It's not about getting all you can get. Achieving all that you can achieve. It's about living a life of service to Christ. When God puts me in a position of authority, I'm to use that position of authority to give to others, to serve others, to do what's right, to be fair and equal, to receive others regardless of what their standing in life is. To see the inherent value in every other human being. Can I, what difference would it make in our country today if all of us would live like that? That we would lay aside our preconceived prejudice and get to know other people. To sit down and have serious conversations with people who are unlike us. Most of us live in very homogeneous environments. We don't, we don't let a lot of people inside our circle who disagree with us. We, we don't want to hear different opinions or, or different ways of thinking. I, I'm not suggesting that we, we be diverted from the truth of the word of God by anyone, but I am suggesting that we be willing to listen to other people. The trouble with with most of us is we can't let the other person finish a sentence before we've started ours. We're just watching them long enough so that we can see when their mouth stops moving so we can start talking rather than just sitting and listening. We might do well if we would take the places and positions that God has given to us and just be willing to listen to other people. Then maybe we would earn the right to speak into their lives. Value people. Realize God ultimately is the authority. That's the exhortation of the Apostle Paul. 
Now I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. That's a little bitty book. And you know what? Here's what we're going to do today. In the next just very brief few minutes, we're going to go through a whole book of the Bible. Now this will be the first one for some of you this year. Just kidding. Hope not. We saw the exhortation of Paul. Now let's look at the example of Philemon. Now Philemon is another, it's a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a man named Philemon. Uh, and, and so he writes this letter uh, while he's in, in prison in Rome. And, and he writes it at the same time that he writes the letter to the church at Colossae that we've been studying and that parallel passage we've been looking at. Uh, the book of Ephesians. So, so Philemon comes to, to Ephesus. He meets Paul there. He's converted. He comes to, becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and he goes home to his town in Colossae. And he starts a church in his home. It's about 90 miles away from Ephesus. He has a slave. And the, the slave's name is Onesimus. And, and Onesimus rebels against uh, his, his master, Philemon. And, and he, he takes some money. And, and he leaves. And he goes to the big city. Uh, he goes to Rome. And so in Rome, he meets Paul. Paul is in Rome because Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. Maybe you remember from the book of Acts, he's accused of, of inciting a riot, although he wasn't doing that. He's accused of that. They take him down to Caesarea, Caesarea by the sea, not Caesarea Philippi, different places. Uh, it's interesting if you've ever been to Caesarea by the sea, you can, you can stand where they believe that Paul uh, stood and was held captive there in Caesarea. Uh, he appeals there uh, because as a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal. And so he appeals and, and he's taken to, appeals to Caesar and he's taken to Rome to, to be heard by him, his case to be heard by him. And, and so he's held there. Now, I'm sure there's lots of people praying for the Apostle Paul while he's in prison. And there's probably lots of people praying for his release, just like they did when he was in Philippi. And you remember maybe the story, there's an earthquake and, and he gets out and he walks out of the prison, all the doors open up and he just walks out and, and he's free, but not, that's not happening this time. Paul is held in prison in Rome and he's held there for some time and, and, and it's at this time when he writes much of your New Testament while he's in this prison. And while he's there, he meets this runaway slave, Onesimus, and he leads him to Christ and he begins to disciple him. Many of you are, are disciplers, many of you disciple people, and, and you know that when you begin to disciple someone, you're building that relationship with them, you sit and you talk with them, and you have conversation about who you are, and where you're from, and what's going on in your life, and what's brought you to this point. And so can you imagine the Apostle Paul, uh, he's in prison with Onesimus, and, and they sit down, and, and you know, they're having conversation, and he says, oh, uh, you know, Onesimus, where are you from? Well, I'm from Colossae. Oh, wow, I've never actually been to Colossae, but I've been to Ephesus, and, uh, and there in Ephesus we were able to start a church. What, uh, Onesimus, what did you do in Colossae? What, what, what's your profession? Well, actually, I was a slave. I was a slave of a man named uh, Philemon. And, and, and I'm sure Onesimus uh, struggles when he hears Paul's response to that. Oh, Philemon, he's a very good friend of mine. Can you imagine the fear that struck in the heart of a runaway slave when he finds out the guy that he's talking with knows his master? And so 
They, they go through this discipleship process, and, and, and Paul is writing these letters, and so he writes the letter to Ephesus, and he writes the letter to Colossae, and he writes the letter to Philemon, and, and it wasn't like it is today, you know. I, I mean, even now today, it's very strange to us to put a stamp on a letter and drop it in the mail. Uh, certainly, there was no email or, or, you know, no Zoom calls going out of the, the Roman prison, uh, and so there's no connections like that, so these had to be hand-delivered, and so he takes those letters. Obviously, Onesimus has served his time, and, and he's getting out, and another guy named Tychicus, and, and and so he gives them those three letters, and he sends them on their way. And so Onesimus and Tychicus, they go to Ephesus, and they deliver the letter. And then Tychicus leaves, and he goes to Colossae and delivers the letter. But, but Onesimus gives, gets the letter to Philemon, his master. And he's to hand-deliver that letter to his master. Now, you've got to believe. There's been a transformation that's happened in Onesimus' life, Amen. He just ran from this guy. He fled from slavery. He didn't want any part of that. He stole money from his master and he ran away. And now he's returning back to his master with a letter in hand from the Apostle Paul. Now I want us just to, if you've, if you've turned there, we're, we're going to walk through this letter. And again, we're going to do it very, very quickly. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and to Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Alphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. So Paul's saying, Philemon, man, I'm, I'm encouraged by your faith. I'm encouraged by how you live. I'm encouraged that you have the evidences of being a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And I want you to recognize that. There is a genuineness to the follower of Jesus Christ in that he loves God and he loves people. Amen? All people. And notice he says, let's, let's read it again. Toward all saints. We, we love people. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. He's, 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 he's helping him to understand, I appreciate who you are. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. And so he's saying, Philemon, you're, you're an encourager. You're, you're a, a solid follower of Christ. You love God and you love people, and I appreciate that about you. Now, let me tell you why I'm writing Verse 8, wherefore I thought I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Now, what he's saying is I, I could write this letter, and as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I, I could demand that you do this. I, I, could, I could instruct you to do this. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. I'm not going to demand it. I'm going I'm to ask you. I'm going to beg you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also the prisoner of Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, I want to use my influence. I want to encourage you. I beseech thee there for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. And so I don't know where Onesimus was at this point. Maybe he's still out at the gate. Maybe he's just delivered the letter and it's gone into Philemon. Maybe he's standing right before Philemon. I don't know. But Philemon's reading this. And, and, he's, and what Paul is saying is, I, I'm coming and I'm begging you to receive Onesimus, this, this, this fella who is my son in the faith who spiritually is my child. I've led him to Christ. He's now a follower of Christ. He's a fellow believer. And I, I want you to receive him, which in time past was to the unprofitable. Onesimus literally means profitable. <laughs> what Paul's saying was, Onesimus 
didn't used to be very Onesimus, but now he's come back. Now he's profitable to you, and he's profitable to me as well, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. He says, I want you to receive him just like you would receive me. I know, I know he's a slave. I know he's a slave who did you wrong. I know he's a slave who stole from you and ran from you and fled. I, I know that he has wronged you, but I want you to receive him just like you would receive me. Now, Paul, Paul was certainly an apostle. He was the apostle of Jesus Christ. He was a man of great stature, a great stature in the church, but in great stature in society as well. He would have been in the upper echelon of society. And Onesimus would have not been that at all. But Paul says, don't you receive him in any other way than you would receive me. You treat him like you would treat me. That ought to be true of how we treat everyone. Paul says, I, I want you to receive him like you would receive me. Verse 13, whom I would have retained with me, that, it, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. He said, I, I'd have loved to have kept him here. So he could have ministered to me in your place. You're unable to minister to me, but I would have loved to have kept him to minister to me, but, but I'm not willing to do that. But without thy mind, I would, not, I would do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, in any, not, not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. So he's saying, I, I'm not going to keep him here. I'm going to do what's right. I want you to willingly minister to me, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. He said he went away for a little while, but now you're going to be with him for eternity. He says, maybe this thing happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Maybe this is really a good thing that happened for you. Now you can receive him forever. For Verse 16, not now as a servant. Don't receive him as a servant, but above a servant. A, beloved, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me, therefore, thy partner, receive him as myself. Again, he's, he's saying... You receive him like you would receive me. Verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say unto thee that thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Paul says, hey, if he owes anything, lay it to my account. I'll pay it. Now, he, he does add, I, you know, I, I, I led you to Christ, so your eternal destiny is due to the fact that I led you to Christ, but don't worry about that. I'll take care of any material thing that he's taken from you. Here's what I want you to see from the story. This book, listen to me, this book is practical. This book applies to everything you face every day in your life. Paul lived in a culture that was corrupt, it was depraved. Paul lived in a culture where human slavery was common, which is deplorable to God and ought to be to us. But Paul's response to that wasn't to march on Rome. He didn't organize a protest. Paul went about leading masters and slaves to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's where freedom is found. That's where reform is found. That's the way you change the world. 
We don't legislate morality. We change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it's an internal change. Then it's something that comes from the heart, inward to the outward, rather than trying to go in the reverse of that. We will not be successful in changing the world when we only do it by trying to legislate morality. The answer to the problems of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul understood the depravity of man, and he went about to change it one soul at a time, leading people to Christ and discipling them. And that's the same response you and I should have today. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be a part of the process. We had an election last Tuesday. 19% of the voters in Morgan County voted. If you didn't vote last Tuesday, let me say it loud and clear, shame on you. You ought to vote. You ought to go out. You say, well, I don't, it doesn't make any difference. Well, it sure doesn't. If you don't, go do it. And, and let me just say frankly, there are a lot of people died for you to have that freedom. Don't you, don't you cheapen their sacrifice. As long as we have that privilege, you ought to participate. And you ought to, you ought to and let me just say, you ought to participate in an informed way. For heaven's sake, don't go vote unintelligently. You need to know who you're voting for. And it's not that hard to figure it out. You ought to vote. There's another one coming up just next month, August the 25th, I think it is. Municipal elections in our city, you ought to be a part of that. You know, there, there's, there's lots of people on social media squawking about all the things they don't like about what our, our leaders, the decisions our leaders are making. Okay, well, you know, I'll promise you your social media post is not going to create anything but an argument. Maybe you should go to the ballot box. Sorry. There's another one coming up in November. For heaven's sake, go participate in an informed fashion. My daddy used to say, if you don't vote like me, you voted wrong. <laughs> and then he would add, and that's the way you wanted to. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just telling you to go vote and do it from an informed position. And all of that's well and good. But listen to me. We won't change the world by voting because the world is a corrupt place depraved by sin the way the world has changed is through the gospel of Jesus Christ and you and I have been entrusted with it and the way we change the world is not by organizing marches it's about by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who desperately need hope that's what the apostle Paul did that's how he impacted the life of Philemon a master that's how he impacted the life of Onesimus a slave. That's where real freedom is found, through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul writes, and it, just so that we can say we actually finished the book, verse 28, brethren, let me have joy in thee in the Lord, refresh my bowels in the Lord, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say, but withal prepare ye also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. And he goes on and salutes Epaphras and the fellow prisoner of the Lord, Marcus and Archippus, 
Demas and Lucas, my fellow prisoners, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Whole book of the Bible today in church. You can tell people you achieved it. Paul says, I, Philemon, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to be a good leader, to do the right thing, to be a good master, to, to do what's right by Onesimus. And the encouragement for all of us is to live the same way. And you know what might help us to do that is to recognize something really quickly. Every one of us is Onesimus. We're all runaway slaves to our rightful owner, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all left him to go our own way, Isaiah 53 says. We all went to do our own thing, but hallelujah, we have a friend. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, if they owe you anything, God, put it on my account. I'll pay their whole debt. When Christ has done that for us, how selfish are we if we're unwilling to do that for others? When he's forgiven my debt, how selfish am I if I'm unwilling to forgive others' debts toward me? That's the kind of leaders we ought to be. People who serve, who give, who value others. Servanthood leadership. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ who left heaven. He came in the form of a servant. He died in our place so that we could be set free. Let's treat people the way Jesus treats people. Amen? Father, we love you today. We love your word. We love the practicality of it. We love how applicable it is to every aspect of our lives. Father, we're grateful today that you have led us through your word and how to live. Father, I pray that you would help all of us who name the name of your son, Jesus Christ, to live in a way that's pleasing to you, to live in a way that would honor and glorify you. You've given us this incredible opportunity. You've reconciled us to yourself. You've forgiven us all of our debt. God, I pray you'd help us to be people who would be willing to forgive others, to love others, to treat other people with respect and an equal concern regardless of their social status or social standing or, or who they are, or the color of their skin or or even the religious upbringing they may have. May we love people like you love people. May we receive people unconditionally. May we be people who would lead from a position of servanthood and sacrifice. May we come to all aspects of our lives, our families and our churches and in our employment, looking to be people who would serve and give May we follow the example that you've left for us, that we could honor and glorify you in everything we say and everything we do. I pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. We're going to sing today a couple of verses of song. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, let me, let me just tell you that's where all of this has to begin. You can't just go out and turn over a new leaf and get a new lease on life and 
change your behavior. That's, that's not how this works. You come to Christ like you are. And allow him to redeem you, to change you. If you've never met Christ, we would love to help you do that today. These guys are along the front here. They'll help you. If you just come and say to them, I don't know. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'd like to know. We'll take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure. If you're away from the Lord this morning, we, we invite you to come. We'll help you. Whatever your need is today. Maybe you recognize today that, that you've lived your life inconsistent with the testimony of Christ. Although you profess him, although you claim his name, although you call yourself a Christian, you recognize you've taken his name in vain. You don't live like that. You want to come today and ask him to forgive you. I invite you to come. We're going to sing while we sing. You come like God do in your life what he wants to do. All to Jesus I surrender. All to song to sing, isn't it? It's such a hard thing to do. <laughs> isn't it? Anybody else struggle with that? Is it just me? I, I, I like to be in control. What I found is that's the temptation of our humanness. That's what it means to be human. I want to be God. I want to be in control of everything in my life. I want to dictate how things go. I want to submit to myself rather than submit to God. And that's dangerous. Amen? I resist being told that the key to leadership is submission, servanthood. I like to be served. How about you? Me and Sharon are going to talk down here, okay? We agree. I think there's something deep within all of us that we, we do like to be in charge. We do like to call the shots. But what's right is submission. Surrendering all to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It really is the way to life that is fulfilled and content. It is the way to joy and peace. It may seem contrary, but, but it's the truth of the Word of God. Uh, this morning, uh, Taylor Stewart has come. Taylor realized last week, you can come stand. Come on, Ethan, stand with her. Uh, that uh, although she grew up in church, there had never been a time in her life that she had put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, very religious, uh, very outwardly conforming, but never had an inward transformation. Uh, and so she came and trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Amen. We praise the Lord for that. Uh, and, and you know, uh, Billy Graham said probably 30 years ago uh, that he feared that 50% that 
of those who attend church on a weekly basis had never had a genuine experience with Jesus Christ. They had never trusted Christ as their Savior. I fear that with him. And, and the right thing to do if you struggle with that is to make that right, a once-for-all decision to bow your knee to the Lordship of Christ, to recognize that you can't save yourself, that no amount of good works or deeds would ever merit salvation, and the only way is through Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior, as Taylor has done. And it takes a lot of courage to do that, uh, but I appreciate her willingness to do that, okay? So I want you to come by and... Uh, Whatever it is that you can do today. You can't shake hands, can't hug. I don't know if you can bump elbows. It's kind of confusing to me that we've been told now, sneeze into your elbow, but then we bump elbows. I don't know. I think it ought to be one or the other. We ought to either cough into our hands and bump elbows or cough into our elbows and shake hands. I don't know. But we shouldn't be touching those places where we're coughing. Anyway, uh, these are the things that I struggle with. Uh, we're going to be dismissed. We're going to sing a song. If you, if you need to slip out, feel free to do that. But uh, come by and, and let... Uh, Taylor, know that you're excited for her. If you're new today, come by the, the VIP area. We'd love to get a chance to meet you, okay? God bless you. Have a great Sunday.